Hi everybody, it's Duncan Green from, from Poverty to Power with a very special guest, Professor Nyla Kabir, who's a Professor of Gender and International Development here at the London School of Economics and is probably the most, one of the most revered members of staff amongst the students. She has an astonishing fan club um, and uh, I'll leave you to decide whether it's warranted on the basis of this podcast. Um, Nyla, hello. Um, thanks for coming on. I'm very pleased to be here. Tell us a little bit about how you ended up at the LSE, what, a little bit of CV, not too much. Well, I started out at the LSE as an undergraduate student, did my PhD here, went away for many, many years, and then have come back uh, as a professor in gender studies and international development. Okay, great. And the reason we're talking is because you have a new paper out, and the paper is a study of randomized control trials in real life. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. So maybe we should start by just uh, explaining what RCTs are and mm-hmm. what they are not and, okay. and take it from there. So do you sure. want to kick that off? I shall try and do it as succinctly as possible. So randomized control trials are now becoming the methodology for evaluation in development studies. And essentially they uh, try and they sort of mimic experiments in laboratories, but they do that in real life. So. If you uh, are going to have an intervention, you identify all the people who are eligible to be a part of that intervention. You randomly allocate some of them to what you call a treatment group who will benefit from the intervention. The rest of them you allocate to a control group who will not benefit from that intervention. And then you see over time if they have had a different trajectory. And so if there has been a difference in their trajectories and some have done better than others, you assume that the reason why the people in the treatment group did better is because they benefited from that intervention. And that assumption is warranted, isn't it? If you've, if you've made a correct choice of, mm-hmm. and a correct randomization, then the only difference between these two big groups mm-hmm. is the intervention. Then it's, even if you don't know everything that's going on, mm-hmm. you can assume that everything that's going on is the same apart from the intervention. So in some ways, RCTs fit with complexity, with systems where you, you only have imperfect knowledge and all the rest of it, right? Well, of course, in principle, if that's what you could do, and if the, the real world functioned as smoothly as a laboratory, then fine, yes, you can take care of all the complexity because you have, through your randomization process, allowed for the fact that um, there will be complexity, but that they will be similar in yeah. the uh, treatment. And, and that comes out of drug trials and, uh, yes, in particular, yes, doesn't it? Yes, so. and, and, and it's easier to do in these very narrow interventions around drugs. Okay. But take that out of drugs and medicine and put it into the real world where people are jostling to live their lives, they're struggling, they uh, will not be obedient, they won't behave as you ask them to. And then you want to say, okay, you're controlled, you're treatment, now let us examine you in a couple of years' time and see how you do. And if one of you, the, control, the treatment group, does better, then we know it was because of the project. It doesn't work. Which brings us on to the paper, which is yes. great. Okay, yes. so the paper is about this very popular and sort of fascinating question of the ultra-poor program. Right. So second bit of explanation, what is the ultra-poor ex- okay. uh, program? So the target of the ultra-poor program was developed by BRAC, the largest NGO in the world, in Bangladesh, and it seemed to have worked very well. And essentially what it does is it targets those people at the very bottom of the income distribution who are there because of multiple constraints, not just lack of income, but, you know, uh, risk, uncertainty, dependency, uh, identity, all of these things. And women are very often disproportionately represented under the ultra poor. So what Bragg did is it said, we can't do a single intervention. We need a 
package of supports for these people, for women and their families, and those supports included a productive asset transfer like livestock, poultry, fish or whatever. But along with that, we're going to give them a consumption stipend so they don't have to rush off earning money rather than looking after their assets. Uh, we're going to give them training. Uh, we're going to encourage them to save. But above all, we are going to provide intensive mentoring. BRAC staff would visit them on a weekly basis to discuss their plans, what's going wrong, and so on. And that intensive mentoring is a very important part of the program. So that's and the idea was that through this process, you would help the ultra-poor to become moderately poor over a two-year period by putting them on a livelihood trajectory that moves them out of extreme poverty. And it seems to be quite successful, judging by what mm -hmm. I read about it. I haven't looked in any mm -hmm. detail. Is that, was that your impression? Uh, certainly it has been my impression and certainly, you know, the BRAC program has been evaluated several times and it's done reasonably well. Um, and in order to find out if it would be successful everywhere else, uh, there was a big graduation program which was funded by CGAP and Ford that experimented with this approach in about six different countries and carried out randomized controlled trials on them to establish whether within these two years, indeed in different countries, the ultra-poor moved out of ultra-poverty. And those studies found mixed those results? Studies, no, the studies, uh, well, one or two didn't work, and that's, you know, that happens. But six of the studies were published as reasonably successful, you know, uh, to a year or so after the program was over. Those people who were in the treatment group reported increases in their consumption, their assets, and so on didn't report such good um, uh, results for the more intangible uh, impacts like, um, you know, education, health or happiness and so on. But on these uh, economic um, impacts, they all seem to have done quite well. Okay. Which brings us to your research, which was That's to right. go and take a deeper look at what's going on in these RCTs and in these ultra-poor programs. Not quite. Our research, which my belief was should have been ours was a qualitative evaluation and ideally the rct and the qualitative evaluation should have been done together in an integrated way for reasons we can discuss but there was a real resistance within the rct uh, practitioners that were involved in the program to having qualitative researchers in their field you know messing up people's um, contaminating the field so, to so what, just explain what you mean by qualitative research in this case well what we wanted to do is rather than simply you know survey a group of people at the beginning of a project and the end of a project and on that basis decide if there had been impact or not we wanted to follow some of the participants in the project and find out exactly how all the different elements of the project uh, impacted on their lives. How did they respond to it? What did they use? What was useful? What was not? What did they value about any change that had happened in their lives? So we visited them um, every two months over a year period. So we had lengthy interviews with uh, 10 of them who were considered by the project to have been very successful and 10 of them who had been considered by the project not to have been, you know, made much uh, progress. And was this, sorry, what's the connection with the RCT? Were these part well, of the RCT, RCT no, process? No, they were not. As I said, the RCT was very resistant yeah. to an integration. So we actually, and this is what got interesting, we carried out our qualitative evaluation of a pilot of the TUP, very close in West Bengal, very close to where an RCT was studying a separate pilot. We carried out a qualitative study of a 
TUP pilot in the Sindh in, in Pakistan, very close to where an RCT was looking at about four of these pilots. So we were side by side, but not talking to each and other. And you found different things from the RCTs. Maybe that's where we should get into the findings well, then. Similar and different. So all of the RCTs, the synthesis of the six RCTs, all reported that they had positive impacts. They also reported that the better off did much better than the poorer of the very poor, which you would expect better off people are obviously as an advantage. But they don't explain why. You know, you expect that to happen, but they don't explain why. In our study, in the West Bengal study, we found that it was the poorest who did better than the somewhat better off. And in Sindh, it was also the better off who did better, as the RCTs had found. But in Sindh, the entire project was a bit of a failure. So unlike the big success stories that we were hearing everywhere, the Sindh pilot that we studied uh, closed down. The majority of the participants we interviewed, both those who were considered fast and those who were not, actually didn't think they had made much progress. So you would count the Sindh pilot as not very successful. So what were some of the factors that determined success or failure? For us, yes. Um, and this is another interesting thing about the RCTs. They don't actually discuss the people who implement the project and how they implement it. So one thing that differentiated our study of the Synth pilot and our study of the West Bengal pilot is the organizations involved. So the organization that was doing the West Bengal pilot has had long experience working with very poor women. But basically, it worked with cash transfers. So now it was experimenting with asset transfers. Because they were quite experienced, they knew how to manage when things went slightly wrong. Their, uh, their staff were very sensitive to what people needed. and you know, They were talked about very lovingly by all the participants. In addition, they added the idea of a self-help group to their pilot. So you had these poorer women would meet in small groups every month and would save together. But they also used that as a platform to discuss uh, you know, issues of patriarchy, issues of poverty, to create a sense of solidarity amongst these women. And is this allowed in the RCT model? Because the RCT model is quite individualist, isn't well, it? Well, the RCT model is very individualist. In fact, the West Bengal RCT model excluded anyone who was a part of a group. Okay. Right? So we had very different. But the reason why our uh, pilot, which was organized by Trickle Up, which is an international organization, wanted to have the, the self-help group component added is because it felt that very, very poor women needed a sense of solidarity. They needed to be able to save in places that they felt that they controlled. And in a self-help group, you decide how much you're going to save, you can borrow from the group, you decide what interest rates and how you pay back. And all of that, that component, I think, made a huge difference. So this, is, this comes back to your original comments about RCTs in that this is not administering a vaccine, this is not administering a simple treatment, no. this is a very complex interaction yes. between NGOs in this case yes. and the population. Yes. And so actually how they go about delivering the treatment yes. is a large yes. part of whether the treatment is successful yes. or not. Absolutely. But the RCTs do not allow you in principle to deviate from that you know every rct is supposed to be exactly uniform across the board so you're not allowed to learn and adapt no you're not because that you're messes not. up the, the completely you know the process you know, how can you compare uh you know things that have been adapted to a different contexts you also found out some stuff to do with religion which was interesting maybe you want to yes, talk about that yes um 
things that happened in the West Bengal RCT, and here is why I think taking cognizance of human agency is very important. You know, you don't have to do that in a laboratory because everything is controlled. But when you go into real life, people, as I say, misbehave, you know. And in West Bengal, the way they misbehaved is that about 35% of the people who were offered assets under the RCT program gave them back, refused to participate. Um, and about 12% were ineligible, so they were dropped. So already you had, instead of this randomized process where you had identical people in the control group and identical people in the treatment group, in the treatment group, 35%, mainly Muslims, a minority in West Bengal, and therefore not particularly uh, trusting of, of things that come in their way. So a large section, in fact, half of the people in the um, treatment group did not participate, did not benefit from these transfers. But interestingly, in order to uh, mimic real life, the impacts that were reported by the other half, who were more better off Hindus, that was the impact, but they averaged it across all the people who should have participated as well. So the impacts they reported were a little lower than they might have been, but in reality, those impacts were being driven by the better off Hindus who had participated in the program, since half of them, or 35% of them, had not participated at all. Do you get it? So this is people not behaving like lab rats? They're not behaving like lab rats at all. I mean, you would have thought, if I come along to your household and say, here you are, free goats, free this, free that, you know, treatment, mentoring, a consumption stipend for two years, you know, why would you refuse that? Well, minorities often behave differently from majorities. And here I want to tell you about an interesting RCT, which was carried out on trust amongst minority Muslims in India, in West Bengal, and minority Hindus in Bangladesh neighboring. And they found that the lack of trust amongst minorities were exactly the same. The Hindus in, West Hindus in Bangladesh, where they are a minority, displayed the same low levels of trust as the Muslims in West Bengal, where they are a minority. So I think the Muslims that were refusing to participate in the pilot of the TUP program were expressing a lack of trust. Mm. We didn't have that problem in the qualitative uh, study, but certainly the Muslims were far more distant in a sense. And one sense is because the Muslims, although they're a minority in West Bengal in general, they're a larger minority than anywhere else in India. So they are an important vote block. And so the government woos them. And so they're not as deprived as some of the other people who come from tribal groups in the West Bengal context. I mean, the other difference you talked about in the paper is that some people have just never had a development yeah. intervention before yeah. Yeah. and they make sort of the most of it. Is that right? Well, yes, that's exactly right. Because if you recall, I said that the RCTs generally reported positive results, those six RCTs, and they generally reported that the better off did better than the poor, which you would expect. But in our qualitative study, it was people from the tribal groups, who are the, called the scheduled, uh, scheduled tribes, poorest and most marginalized, and a tiny minority in West Bengal, and of no political importance to anybody, who have been systematically bypassed by every program that comes that way. So for them, when Trickle Up came along and offered these assets, offered this advice and this mentoring, they seized it as, you know, like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And they said, you know, you are, they told the staff that these are the first people that have ever come our way. And therefore, 
because they had no other options and they followed the advice they were given right up to the T, they did reasonably well. So one of the things, um, there was a sort of fairly even-handed but slightly critical review by Burke Olsler at the World Bank mm -hmm, of, of mm -hmm, your paper. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that struck me was he said that this is two papers, really, that what you've got is um, an evaluation of the ultra-poor program, mm -hmm. a qualitative evaluation of the ultra-poor program, which mm -hmm. he really liked, mm -hmm. and then an evaluation of the RCT of the ultra-poor program, mm -hmm. which he didn't like. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And he had lots of very technical reasons, which I did not understand mm -hmm. about why he didn't like it. Mm -hmm. To what extent is your paper saying this is, this is when the ultra-poor pro approach works and this was when it doesn't? To what extent is it fundamentally a critique of how RCTs work in practice, or is it both? I think it's both. I think what it's trying to say is this is what RCTs can do and this is what they can't. This is what qualitative evaluations can do and this is what they can't. We cannot generalize on the basis of the number of people we interviewed. But if we had been able to talk to some of the women who were under the RCT, perhaps we could have generalized and perhaps we could have done more. Perhaps we could have explained exactly how the pilot programs worked in Sindh and in West Bengal in a way that the RCT cannot. And some of the, the, the RCT sort of um, advocates, commonly known as random Easters, yes. um, they say this is where it's going, that there are, mm -hmm. there are more yes. mixed methods RCTs coming. Is that, is that the case? I, I hear that that is the case, and I am seeing more evidence. You know, I think Burke himself said that he's been involved with uh, a number of mixed methods. And I actually, you know, I feel passionately about this on a much bigger scale. And that is... We are working in areas in the world where we don't have that much knowledge of how things work on the ground. To fly in there with these RCTs that don't collect information on process, causality, context, and then to say, oh, this works, you know. No, that's not enough. You have to know how it worked. And it's not enough to just replicate that trial in another part of the world. You still don't know how it worked. So for me, they've taken to an extreme, or they did take to an extreme, one of the critiques that Amartya Sen, and by the way, this article is in a special issue uh, commemorating Amartya Sen's 85th birthday, one of the critiques that Amartya Sen has always made is this value placed on parsimony, you know, parsimony of uh, methodology, you know, trying to get as much uh, explanation on as minimal a piece of information. Trying to get rid of the mess of real life. Get the mess, and the RCTs have taken that to, uh, such an extreme that most econometricians, or many econometricians, are very critical, you know, because they understand that you need to complement your numbers with an understanding of the history, the context, and the mechanisms behind those numbers. So it, there's a bigger critique here, and it's not just about... Uh, it's, it's, it's unusual to hear RCTs accused of parsimony because they are incredibly expensive. So one of my concerns is that by adding another layer of qualitative mm. to an already million-dollar RCT, mm. Mm. they're just going to become bigger and more cumbersome. The parsimony uh, reflects... Uh, the parsimony. Re it's intellectual parsimony rather yes, than financial. And, I understand and that. informational parsimony. They don't give you information. Well, then perhaps we should just abandon uh, RCTs. You know, perhaps we should think about old-fashioned um, quantitative evaluations, which then rely on rich qualitative contextual analysis to give us reasonably uh, reliable findings. I think 
Neither Kabir, that's a very good point to end. I'm sure we'll get a few reactions from some of the RCT advocates. I am sure we will. But, you know, I'm not totally dismissing RCCs. I just think they're that expensive. Are they worth the money? Thank you very much. Oh.